Hello, one and all. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side for the Film Stage. Today, we put on our kilts to talk about Scotland's first son, <laughs> Ewan McGregor. We all know him, of course, as Rodney Copperbottom from the animated <laughs> film Robots. We all remember where we were. 2005's Robots, it's, what's, it's what he's known for. We all talk about it. And this is going to be a Robots-heavy podcast. Uh, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm Dan Mecca. As always, uh, my good friend Connor O'Donnell joins me. Connor, how are things, my friend? Uh, things are just swell. As swell as can be. Yes. Um, and so we have a, a great guest today who comes uh, to us by way of the Film Stage show. Uh, Fiona, you were on the Film Stage show for, remind uh, me uh, what movie? Another Round. Another Round, that's right. Mm -hmm. So recently, and mm -hmm. you, that was a great episode. I'm obviously, I listened to every episode of the Film Stage show and you, I, I, you brought, uh, the, what was great about that episode and I would encourage our listeners, to a lot of our listeners obviously listen to the Film Stage show as well, but I would encourage anybody listening who maybe hasn't checked out that episode yet you 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 give such a great context to the european-ness of another round in terms of like drinking and the culture around drinking you know that's a little different from america in so many ways and and it is a great uh I don't know. It's a great. I love. I really love that movie as well. So, so it's it's a definitely a, a, a solid couple hours to listen to. But to officially introduce you, we have Fiona Underhill, editor in chief of Jump Cut Online at Fiona Underhill on Twitter. Fiona, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. Ewan, so we were <laughs> chatting about who do we want to do, whatnot. You had a few people who you have seen. Is it their entire filmography? Have you seen every Ewan movie? Have, is it, is it true? Um, I've seen a lot of his. Yes. Um, okay. A lot, and I've even like his early TV work I've seen as well. So. Have you I, seen I, his breakout? The 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 uh, what's it called? The um, from '93. I literally yeah. have it right up. What's it called? Uh, so Scarlet and Black. Yeah. Yeah. Or are you well, thinking look, of lipstick on lip, your collar? I'm I'm thinking of lipstick on your collar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen both of those. So oh my I, gosh! I grew up with Ewan, so I'm revealing, oh, revealing my age here. But I was 13 in 1993, and oh, Ewan wow. was yeah. a massive crush, teen crush for me. Wow! So, I mean, makes so, sense. It's a good pick. <laughs> so, uh, Scarlet and Black and Lipstick on Your Collar were huge, like a huge deal for me. And yes, I was a slightly weird uh, teenager in that respect. <laughs> very, uh, very into like period, uh, period films and period dramas and like Merchant Ivory and stuff. But yeah, so that's how I saw Scarlet and Black. And then I'm also a massive Dennis Potter fan. I was going to ask. And, yeah. and I have, I have like the play scripts of uh, some of his, his sort of TV work. So um, 
lipstick on your collar like i have the book of it i was really obsessed with it oh my god um and uh something else that ewan was in a bit later called karaoke by dennis potter as well i've got the script of that so <laughs> i'm already revealing myself to be a bit weird but yeah I no would, so you so... were you, you were all in on you and all in I early was, yes yes and so i mean i feel like my me and connor's you know you and love is going to be boring in comparison because you know because we're I, american i, I mean that's i'll tell you you know what, i'll tell you what this is this is going to be boring but maybe provide some context i i have a vivid memory of when Ewan was cast in uh star wars episode one the phantom menace there was a vanity fair cover because yeah, i think I my that. So yeah, okay. So it's a Vanity Fair cover, and my mom, I I think my mom got Vanity Fair. We definitely had Vanity Fair in the house, maybe for like a time she got it. And I vividly remember the cover where he's in a kilt and he's like dirty, right? And it's like the the bit, the the like the theme of his introduction is like this, you know, dangerous Scotsman who makes these movies that are like not for Star Wars kids. It got cast is the you know one of the most beloved characters, you know. And I was like intrigued, of course. You know, you were like, what is who is this guy? And then I think, you know, of course he's Obi-Wan and, and the Phantom Menace and then onward. And then it must have just been like any person in that range, living in New York, whatever, being like just kind of discovering his movies and like you know, I watched Shallow Grave in college. I didn't love it. I I, I meant to revisit it before this podcast. I, I, train spotting is, of course, in American university. It's like every second douchebag kid has the train spotting poster on their wall. Right? So oh, it's like okay. a, a very common, right? It's like a, the Fight Club poster, right? Yeah. The train spotting poster, choose life, right? The whole thing. And um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I mean, train spotting was a massive cultural moment in the UK. It yeah. was the height of Britpop and New yeah. Labour, so Tony Blair. And train spotting was like this massive, massive deal, like culturally. Well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, ha we painted our form room, um, I think you call it homeroom. We painted ours at oh, wow. school, like in high school. We painted it in the train spotting colours. So oh, my God. <laughs> orange and grey. And but, uh, you know... Yeah, Ewan, I, you know, I watched a few interviews in, in preparation for this, and Ewan McGregor himself mentions how, yes, how train spotting is almost like the visual companion to like blur, right? And yeah, like yeah. The, that, that moment, Oasis, obviously, that moment in, um, in the UK that obviously trickled over to the States, of course, because it became, it was a big hit here as well. And then, of course, Danny Boyle, that was his second film. Um, and then, so yeah, um, Connor, why don't you tell us your Ewan indoctrination and then let us know the four movies, uh, four B-sides today. Yeah, I mean, I think mine was probably similar to yours, Dan. I think yeah. like, Fa Phantom Menace was, if I'm being honest, probably the first time I like recall seeing him in a movie. Um, but I, my first like time that I remember watching him and being like, oh, he's like an interesting, great actor, you know, and kind of expanding that horizon was probably at too young an age. I watched um, Velvet Goldmine. And oh, interesting. I was that gonna, was definitely yeah. like a formative thing for me at the time. And I think I'd watched it like with one of my older siblings. Um, and that was when I was like, oh, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like, you know, I, th I think I probably, <laughs> well, his... I think I probably watched that at some point, like 
after episode one came out before episode two. And so it was like sure. this interesting thing. <laughs> he immediately became so much more boring in the Star Wars movies. It to me nah. was like, oh, he's like very good. <laughs> like, he, he, even though he is like the highlight of those movies. I was going to say he is like yeah, the, he, only, he the is only one who's actually he's acting the, in he's those like really. the atlas of those films, just <laughs> holding them on. Yeah, he back. is. He is very much. Yeah. MVP. Yeah. And, and, and we're not going to talk about Velvet Goldmine too much because it's obviously not a B-side, but Todd Haynes' movie, um, he steals like full sections of that movie. I yeah. mean, that's one of those performances where he's not the lead, right? Jonathan Rhys-Meyers is the lead and you have other elements, but like when he shows up, you're just like, and he did a lot of that. I mean, we'll talk about the pillow book. That's one of our B-sides. That's our first one. He kind of does a similar thing in the pillow book. Like he really, you know, Fiona, to your point, early and often he was kind of standing out amongst his peers and he was with greats, you know, Chris Eccleson. Great. Right. Like, yeah, he, it wasn't like you, Johnny Lee Miller. Right. It wasn't like he was, you know, up against, you know, you know, rubes, you know, he was going up against great actors who can have continued to be great in different ways, but he really stood out from the pack. Um, and I'll actually, I'll just tell you the B side. So we're going to do, uh, we're going to cover 1996 is, the Pillow Book, directed by Peter Greenaway. 1997's A Life Less Ordinary, directed by Danny Boyle. Um, 2003's Down With Love, directed by Peyton Reed. And 2011's Perfect Sense, directed by David McKenzie. A movie that 10 years later hits way harder than it did in 2011. <laughs> I was like, I'm crying now? And I like, I, I loved it. I liked it a lot when it came out. But we'll talk about it. Uh, it's about a epidemic, so, you know. Um, and I'm going to quickly talk, I'll just say this just to start it off. Cause we can get out of the way. I, I really wanted to watch Nora from 2000 <laughs> because I'm a big James Joyce guy. I loved him in college, went to Dublin, did the James Joyce walking tour I, from I've Ulysses. <laughs> Have you done that? Yeah. yeah. So like I did all that, you know, the Bloomsday of it all. Like I got really into him and whatever. So we get it, Dan, your cult. So, <laughs> I've never read Finnegan's Wake though. That feels like a bridge too far for me, but <laughs> one, one day maybe. But um, anyway, when and this happened years ago when I was he's made so many movies. I was like he played James Joyce like <laughs> and and the movie's more about uh, Nora Barnacle, who's uh, who's James, in real life was James Joyce's wife, but but they only married in the last ten years of his life, but they were together for most on and off to some degree for most of their respective lives. And she was a barmaid um, who he met and was like his muse for his whole life and, and, and talent in her own right. And so anyway, that's what this movie's about. And Susan Murphy, right, plays Nora, I want to say. So make sure I got that right. Yeah. Susan Lynch. My apologies. Yes, yeah. Susan Lynch plays Nora. Ewan plays James Joyce. And young Andrew Scott uh, has a brief role as Michael Bodkin, who in real life... So if you read about Nora, it's based on a biography about Nora uh, Barnacle. Uh, she um, was called in jest a man killer as a teenager because she had like two crushes who died at a young age, like when they were teens. And one of them was this guy, Michael Bodkin. So young Andrew Scott appears almost as like an apparition, like a like a ghost in, in the movie Nora. It's not good, the movie Nora. Um, which is why, you know, Fiona, you kind of were like, no, let's not do that one. And I, and I was like, okay. 
Um, but I'm happy to watch it. I, one thing I couldn't help thinking about, was there controversy? I wonder when he got cast as James Joyce just because he's a Scot, he's a Scotsman. I think, that, I think it was so under the like radar. small, nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. 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 I mean, and if you look at when it got released, it's like 2000, he's Obi-Wan. Like, it's like he's in the pocket where it's like velvet gold mine, right? It's like people probably were just like, oh, it, never mind the James Joyce one, you know, which yeah. it's a shame in a way because it is interesting subject matter, like in theory, but as executed it's basically like james joyce wasn't a very nice person to his wife nora who also wasn't that nice and their kids were neglected and they had problems and then they got older like that's kind of what the movie <laughs> is about so it's, it's not it's laugh a minute <laughs> yeah it's, it's oh it's a riot it's a riot but anyway so with that out of the way we'll start with the pillow book peter greenaway as i mentioned kind of a an elusive filmmaker in a lot of respects. If you're listening, you probably know him. I would I would guess you would know him most for his his movie. And I want to get the title right because I always get the it wrong. Cook. The cook, the <laughs> thief, his wife, and her lover. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the Droughtsman's contract, right? So yeah. those are his two kind of, I feel like, uh most international successes. But the pillow book. It's so okay. Who wants to who wants to briefly describe the plot of this? I, I can try. <laughs> Connor, you want to give you want to give it a try? I was gonna say, does Fiona want it? Oh yeah, because you you, you kind of went to bat for this. So I did. I did go to bat for it. Um, I I mean, I sound like I'm the biggest sort of Peter Greenaway, uh, you know, expert or something, but I actually didn't watch his films until. I think it was January 2020 and they were on the Criterion channel and I watched oh. about six. Um, so I watched like almost the whole collection in a really quick succession. Oh, wow. And and he, I just absolutely fell in love. I knew it was very likely to be my kind of thing. Um, I really like Derek Jarman, Sally Potter. Oh, okay. I mm -hmm. think he's very much in that vein of British uh, very arty, you know, of, of that period, extremely arty kind of directors. Um, and the pillow book is about a Japanese lady girl who, as a child, her father paints this kind of story or legend onto her body with calligraphy. <laughs> It's already really hard to explain. I've only said like the first sentence. Right, um, right. It's like a legend to do with this thousand year old book called the Pillow Book. And then um, when she becomes older, she's, when she starts to have lovers, she it's kind of part of a ritual almost of the lovemaking act is that she will paint this calligraphy onto her lovers. Yeah. And then there's this kind of plot line to do with her father's publisher betraying him. And then mm -hmm. she tries to get revenge against her father's publisher. And then Ewan McGregor comes into it and she uses Ewan McGregor, who's playing a British person in, I think it's in Hong Kong by this point, because she moves mm -hmm. from Japan to Hong Kong. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then she uses Ewan McGregor to try and enact revenge on the publisher. And Ewan McGregor is the publisher's lover as well. So he's bisexual. Um, but she's her and Ewan McGregor are very much like in love and have this quite intense love affair. 
And then I don't know how spoilery we want to get we can, about his we don't character. Need, yeah, we can keep it. We can like that's a good that's honestly <laughs> a good summary of what the movie's. Yeah. I mean, for for context uh in, in a larger sense, and you kind of mentioned this. So um the the pillow book that you mentioned in real life, it is a real book. Vivian Wu is plays um Nagiko, uh, who is the lead of the film. And that name, and this is mentioned in the film, is yeah. allegedly the first name, the real first name of, I'm going to say this right. I wrote it down phonetically, so I would say <laughs> it right. And now I can't find where I wrote it. Hang on. Um, say, uh, say Shanagan, who it was the name of the Japanese author from about 960 to 1020, give or take, AD, who was a court lady, and her real name is believed to be uh, Kiyohara Nagiko, right? So Vivian Wu's name is Nagiko, and her father's like, your, or her mother is like, you're named after this person who wrote the pillow book. I think it's her and now. Her aunt. Yeah. Now we write the pillow book on you every birthday. He writes the story of her birth on her face, essentially. And she becomes, it becomes part of her deal ritual, like you said. And she becomes obsessed with like finding the perfect guy who can do calligraphy well and also <laughs> and, make but, but love also, well. Yeah. And she, it's the perfect guy in terms of his skin has oh, to sorry, sorry. Be, that's right, that's be right. the perfect paper. So it, that's his, right. That's right. He has to have this smooth, silky skin to receive the calligraphy and kind of make yeah. himself worthy of it almost. Exactly. And Vivian, who <laughs> essentially she goes through like these old men who like have experience, but their skin's all bad. And then she <laughs> finds Gene McGregor, who knows a few languages and he's an okay calligrapher, but he has perfect skin, but he's like not mature enough. And so she's kind of like, fuck off. And then they rediscover each other and he's improved and he's mature yeah. and all, and like, Oh, she's perfect. And not only that, but like you said, it all really, the movie is a vengeance piece because then yeah. it becomes this vengeance on this publisher. Um, and tragedy does ensue that, you know, it's, it's funny. I kept thinking, this is what's so Western of me just to be, <laughs> I kept thinking to say Shakespearean, but of course, mm. It's based on something that was 500 years before Shakespeare, which in real life, yeah. the, the pillow book was this collection of, of gossip and accounts. And it was like this court lady was, was with this empress and like people were screwing other people and she's writing it down <laughs> in her little diary. And it's like the original, you know, I don't know what you black book or whatever. And it's pretty cool that Greenway takes that and molds it in another part of the, the movie that's interesting is. Um, Nagiko is half Chinese, half Japanese. So there is this melding of its two cultures and the complications of that, of course, come in a little bit there. Not as much as I thought, frankly, but but it works. And uh, yeah, I was pretty transfixed with this movie. I, I had not seen it. Um, I've only, speaking frankly, Greenaway wise, I've only seen The Cook. Uh, I haven't seen, I, I, I now I will go down the rabbit hole to be sure. But um. Yeah, and McGregor, like we said, I briefly mentioned, he really steals. He shows up forty-five minutes in, and he's in. He's got about an hour where he's yeah. the closest thing to a male lead, and he um, he's entrancing for sure. He um, he looks absolutely perfect in this oh. film. I have to say, his his hair is oh. amazing in it. it. Like he has this lustrous kind of 
quite long hair. It's Beautiful. a lion's mane of hair. It is. Yeah. It's gorgeous. But um, that when it came out, obviously everyone fixated on the fact that it's got so much full frontal nudity in it. Sure. And that's what Ewan became known for because he's done it in so many films and it's kind of his trademark. But the pillow book was was because it was like the same year as Train Spotting. Right. It, it was especially kind of people really latched onto the pillow book as because of the nudity. But um, yeah, he's you know he's good in this movie, and I think it's and such a good good movie. And, and not to get too randy on this podcast, but if there was anybody who was going to go full frontal, you yes. is yeah, good for. Oh, we'll just say good for uh, him. I, I there's, was a, like, there's a reason that he whips it out in I so many was, movies. Put it that way. And one movie we're not going to cover, but we talked about covering, also directed by David McKenzie, that I loved at a younger age. I wasn't young, but I was getting into film and, and this movie blew me away at the time and i need to rewatch it actually because it's just like it's the reason i like i'll follow david mckenzie into the into the dark because like of this movie frankly uh young adam yeah that's amazing which is a great movie and it's him until the swin right yeah. am i right Tilda Swin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and and it's just it's kind of a murder mystery but it, there's a million other things going on and it's um a lot of nudity in that and great though Great, mm. great, great movie. Uh, total recommend on my end. Um, yeah, the pillow book. Vivian was amazing in that movie. You know her. She's in a lot of stuff. She's in the Joy Luck Club, not in a main role, but she is. I believe she plays the grandmother of the lead actress. If you know the Joy Luck Club at all, that the kind of it, you know, about generations of women. Um, great, great book. Great, great book. Good movie. Um. And she, Vivian Wu, I loved. I thought she was yeah, amazing she, in this. I think her accent's really interesting in it because yeah. she's kind of doing this British accent. So when she's speaking English, I mean, obviously not the whole film is in English, but when she's speaking English, her accent is very kind of um, po like posh English kind of accent, which I think is quite interesting. But um, it's an amazing movie because of Greenaway hallmarks, such as this picture-in-picture picture technique oh, yeah. that he uses yeah. all the way through, which I love. So you, he has, like, the main screen and then a smaller, smaller picture within it. And quite often the smaller one is kind of foreshadowing or it's even the, the upcoming scene and you'll start to see it slightly in advance and then the whole screen will go into that scene. Um, and I love this technique he uses. And every time I watch a Greenaway film, I think, why are movies so boring and samey? <laughs> like e every yeah. film, to me, after watching a Greenaway film, I'm just like, every other film is just the same and boring. Because I just think filmic techniques could be so much more interesting than they usually are. And Greenaway is somebody who will yeah. massively open your eyes to how film can be. So and true. He just... He just you know, he's such a rule breaker. And I yeah. love, the love the way he uses music as well. Um, most of his films have Michael Nyman scores, who is my favourite film composer. I'm absolutely obsessed with Nyman. And I think, you know, if he scored every film, I'd be happy. <laughs> but um, but in the Pillow book, he it's actually a Brian Eno score. Which I love. Yeah, so. yeah which yeah. I really, really love. But, you know, you're right about Nyman. I, his Gattaca score is like... I, I, I'm always like, oh yeah, that's the best music I ever made. I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, like, you know uh, yeah. um, he's, he's up there for me anyway. But um, yeah, you're totally right. Uh, 
all of what you said is totally true, uh, Fiona. And it's funny thinking of Ewan and to what you just said about why are movies boring. <laughs> he, so Ewan has made a lot of different movies. And one of the more recent ones is the Disney film Christopher Robin, which is a great example of what you're talking about, where you watch the movie and you go like, why is this movie <laughs> the most boring movie I've ever seen when it's this pretty interesting version of a beloved childhood thing and you mm. you know you take you kind of whatever you do it you know okay the the boy is a man now chris robin <laughs> what are we going to do with that and they kind of do nothing and you're like mm. why why did they make this why did you do it like this to your point like i'm saying get greenway to make chris <laughs> robin no, i'm just kidding connor what did you think about the pillow book I I really enjoyed it. I was fascinated by it. Like I kind of for all the reasons you mentioned, Fiona, like I I one of the things that struck me so vividly while watching it is that the the because of the way because of his picture in picture hallmarks and things like that, it gives the movie such a interesting visual texture to it as you're watching it which to me and and then obviously you have like superimposed writing things like that you have all mm. these like layers that he adds to it and he, i mean i i'm i know that that stuff is things that he does the, you know those are his trademarks as a director overall but if he were to never do that in another film it still feels so at home here because of the the themes of the movie and the idea that she she's trying to find the perfect paper to write on and things like mm. that. Like it, it, to, and to your point, Fiona, it just, it elevates this movie from something that would have maybe if it were made in a more standard conventional way, would just maybe feel melodramatic and kind of, well, whatever. well, and, Connor, and, we didn't it remind you of the red violin a little bit. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like just, which this, we, we talked about uh, Fiona. The Red Violin came up on our Sam Jackson episode, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we both really liked that movie, but but the Red Violin is kind of a, it's a similar idea, but it's done way more kind of I don't know by the book, if you will, and what I and yeah. it, well, I, I like it. I mean, I I like the movie a lot, so I'm not gonna. But to have both is a nice gift. I mean, they're totally different in terms of cultural where they're coming from, but just in structure, they're similar. And I found that to be kind of to Connor's point. Uh, yeah. Greenway's got like a punk rock thing, but <laughs> in the context of these classical elements. Right. And I think, yeah, you don't get combos like that often. You know, mm. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta enjoy it while you have and, it. You and know? you just don't get it. I think in a way you know, it's just I, I obviously I think for obvious reasons, people just don't find it maybe as accessible, you know, th that kind of thing. So I can 100 percent see why this would be tough for for not even just the average viewer, but any. <laughs> right. But um, but I would definitely encourage people to seek it out if if they can, because it's I mean, I yeah, I don't know. Fascinating. And like it, I think just to talk about the Ewan McGregor of it all. Like, I feel like this is posited about a lot of like, quote unquote, interesting actors and performers and stuff. But like, what a courageous dude. Like, I don't know. Like, do you know what I mean? Like the ability and not just in this movie, but I feel like across a career in, in yeah. many respects to just be like, yeah, you know what? Take me like do with me what you want. I'm yours. And like the trust one must have as a performer. And, you know, I suppose not yet, but burgeoning movie star eventually to just be like, yeah, let's like, let's just 
fucking go with this. <laughs> I think it's something that, frankly, I mean, we're going to talk about kind of a weird spread of films. And <laughs> it is something that, you know, that I think is pervasive across all four movies that we're going to talk about. And then like his ability to be like, what are you doing with this movie? Sure. I'm in like, let's go <laughs> like, and, and yeah. And that's the thing is that he, he is on, he tunes himself into what the film is doing yeah. so well. And you, and this applies by the way to the Phantom Menace, which is why he's so strong in that because not every actor is like, Oh, this is what this film is. Right. And I'm, my performance is going to meet the film on its terms, but he absolutely does that with each role. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, and it is one of those things. It's like it, it. I mean, even as it pertains to that franchise, you kind of you realize that about any actor who's been successful in a Star Wars movie, almost like it's like they, <laughs> it's just because it's like just spot the ones who are keyed into like the thing that it is, and those are the yeah. ones. Those are the well, ones that are going to make it out the other end. And you can even tell almost in the way they talk about those movies after, like when Natalie Portman talks about the prequels, she doesn't hate on them, but she's pretty honest about how she was a bit lost, right? She kind yeah. of says like, I didn't really have my bearings. Like she was in them. She did her best. And she, she was so young to be She's so right? young. Yeah. She And it was like, you know, it was just like, like anything. It was a big moment and she, whatever. And so, to hear her talk about it, you go like, yeah. oh, okay, you were, you were, you know, and how Mike Nichols saved her career with Closer, and she's mentioned that, and kind of like that challenge and, and the success of it, right, in terms of her Oscar nomination led to kind of the rest of her career, right, and like how that was important because she needed that and whatever, and, and what have you. And so, um, but yeah, Ewan talks about it like it was another gig, basically. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what you're talking about, like, he approaches everything that way, which I think is good. I mean, I don't, you know, it's like just, it's a job. You, you kind of lock in, do your best. A funny thing we should mention, because we're not going to talk too much about Star Wars, obviously. Dennis Lawson is his uncle who yeah. pretty well known in the UK before you and was, you know, was a, was a born and, and basically is the reason Ewan is an actor is what Ewan McGregor has said. And yeah. funny enough, and probably everybody knows this. I literally did not know this until I was reading about Ewan, or maybe I forgot. <laughs> Dennis Lawson plays Wedge in Star Wars, which, yeah. and, and Ewan McGregor has said that Dennis Lawson, when he was considering taking the role of Obi-Wan, one of the biggest people telling him not to take the role was Dennis Lawson. <laughs> <laughs> um, who like didn't take Wedge seriously. And was just like, yeah, it was a week you know, at Pinewood in the seventies and I, you know, I, you know, people stopped me in the street for the you know, last 40 years, but of course, Dennis Lawson's in Rise of Skywalker. So it's not like, you know, he's totally into the, you know, the franchise to whatever that, to whatever extent. Um, there's a, there's one very rare example actually of Ewan not being comfortable in a film and it's, um, the 1996 Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and in my opinion, Ewan is not comfortable. And I think it's quite comes across quite palpably on screen is that he wow. didn't he's not comfortable in that role and was kind of miscast. And and but you know, that like I said, that's quite rare for him because usually he will absolutely meet a film on its own terms and kind of slot in really well. But yeah. I think that's one where he just shouldn't have done that movie. That's interesting. Yeah, Emma, that's a that's weirdly a movie that's kind of been lost to to, yeah. to time and it was well received at the time it's weird it's clueless is the one that has lasted yeah. 
which is kind of ironic in a way because I think at the time, like there's an interview of Gwyneth Paltrow bash, bash, bashing Clueless, which is like it, it got reappraised on Twitter or something. <laughs> I mean, whatever. But 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 it's funny because that was like the beginning of Gwyneth's coming out party to some degree, and then two years later she's Shakespeare in Love, and the rest is history. But that's funny you say that about you. And I was, saw he was in it, and I've seen the movie, the Douglas Douglas McGrath directed, and I was like, oh wow, maybe I should go back and check it out. But yeah. Um, that's interesting. There's a couple I, I would agree with you on. We'll get to them maybe as we go through. But yeah, it's it's rare to your point. Mm. Um, the next movie is The Lifeless Ordinary. This is probably the least B-sidey of these B-sides. It is. Do you a, think? A, well, just because of Danny Boyle, I feel like there is this kind of respect for it in the over of of Danny Boyle, I think. It wasn't I, a hit I when it came like hardly, out. I feel like hardly anyone has seen this. Okay, so I could be I, wrong. I could be I wrong. I think yeah. this, like, well, I mean, the pillar book is there, but I think this is one of his lesser-known films, definitely. Like, Ewan's lesser-known films. I mean. Yeah, I mean, this. so this is 97. This is Danny Boyle, written by John Hodge. This is the third movie that they all collaborate on Hodge, Boyle, Ewan, um, Cameron Diaz is in it. It's, I, I'll do the plot. It's basically Ewan McGregor is a cleaner at a company. He gets fired and replaced by a robot. Then he gets dumped by his long-term girlfriend. In a fit of rage, he goes to the company's uh, building, you know, the corporation that fired him. Ian Holm is the boss. He like kind of marches into his office with with the idea, I guess, to like, I don't know, show him who's boss. He's got a gun. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's young. And he walks in essentially on Ian Holm disciplining his spoiled daughter, Cameron Diaz. And in the turbulence of the moment, haphazardly kind of kidnaps Cameron Diaz. But he doesn't know what he's doing. He gets away with a little bit of help from her. They go to a cabin. And then what what kind of happens is on that side of the movie is a is a kind of gradual you know a falling in love right so it's a little bonnie and clyde a little sugarland expressy right that type of thing but what makes the movie unique of course is meanwhile right and this is actually how the movie opens delroy lindo and holly hunter doing like 17 different accents on purpose <laughs> are angels who are told by their boss gabriel played by dan Hedaya, that if they don't meet their quota and make the next couple they're assigned fall in love, they will be forced to live on earth forever. And as angels, that is not, does not sound great to them. And so they are determined to do, to make them fall in love. And in doing so, they play multiple roles. Like they, they play the hostage negotiators, the ransom negotiators, but slash hitmen. And, but that's all part of the plan, but then things get out of whack, but then, you know, but then of course, fate brings it all back together. It's a fairy tale, right? It's a very kind (laughs) of, it's a very 1997 fairy tale. One of my notes is, can we spend two hours talking about the soundtrack for a life? (laughs) Rewatching it, I was like, just transform me back to that time. (laughs) I I had the soundtrack on cassette. When I was rewatching it, I was like, every single song on this soundtrack is a banger. And I remembered every lyric of every song and i was just like this is taking me straight back straight back there it's i mean funny so ewan's haircut if he looks if he looked perfect in the pillow book which he does 
This is almost this is, like this is th- one year later, and it's yeah. the greatest crime against humanity oh. I have ever seen. And it's like what paying the, it's like paying the Pied Piper. It's literally everybody like involved, <laughs> everybody involved should go to jail for that haircut. Like, and Cameron, you know, Cameron, Cameron looks, looks weird. great. Yeah, no, oh, she, I think she looks oh, weird. Oh, interesting. As well. Okay, that's interesting because I I had the thought that she looked pretty good, but this is her short hair period. Yeah. This is. I believe the same year as my best friend's wedding. She, she so looks. She, she looks very ninety-seven. Yes, yes, yes. He yes. like. I don't know what he looks like. That's no, like no. And thing. It I really even... want to get across to people is that no one thought that his hair was normal for the time. Right. Like well, at, the, at the time, we were like, yeah. "What is this hair?" Thank it's you not for just saying... like it's dated. It's like <laughs> no. I appreciate yeah. you saying that because I was going to ask. Did was that for a moment? Was that like <laughs> weird semi mullet Jim Sturgis thing? Like popular uh, then, but no, I guess not. Well, I would argue maybe twenty years prior, right? right or right, something, right? right. Like, mm. like I, you know. I I don't know like i it clearly came from somewhere <laughs> but so this so so this movie so just for context it doesn't do well it's one of those movies you know if you look on wikipedia it cost 12 it made 15 right i think you know there's a lot behind it because it's the follow-up to train spotting right there are two kind of hot young stars in it it is danny boyle it, it's was, kind of, it was considered danny boyle kind of selling out to hollywood and it not working so because it's an american set yeah set See, story that's so and it, interesting it feels like that if i'm being honest like it, yeah it, yeah like, i don't does it though because i would argue and i don't you know more than i do right so uh, that's interesting to me because in my purview, uh, flawed though it is, I always thought of the beach as that, right? Which yeah. we'll, well get it's into. Interest- it's interesting that the beach obviously came quite soon after Life Less Ordinary. Yeah, and just but- for, yeah, for context with the beach and whatever, and this is well documented. Basically, if you don't know this listener, uh, Ewan McGregor and Danny Boyle worked together, like I said, in the first three movies. And then basically... Alice Garland wrote The Beach. It was a hot property. I really love that book, The Beach. Um, and I actually like the movie too to some degree. But but um, so do I. But so Ewan is gonna be Richard in the beach. Yeah. And the way the story goes, and this is basically, I think, corroborated because they talk about it pretty openly. The studio, I think it's Fox, says to Danny Boyle, look, cast Leonardo DiCaprio. We'll give you more money. We know Ewan's your guy, but he's not famous enough net yet. And Daniel Boyle does it. And I think the way he the way he tells Ewan McGregor is not handled well by all accounts. And they don't speak for like over a decade. Like it's the end of a pretty fun creative partnership for way too long. Yeah. Which is sad. I mean, and they talk about it. It really is. You guys for how many years did you not talk for? Yeah, quite a bit. A long 20. time, yeah. Yeah, sadly, yeah. No, and I don't mean to trivialize because it, it sounds it's an awful thing. You know, you really liked each other, you loved working together, and yeah. then and then it, it and what was it? Was it one bus stop or was it a dribbling apart? Well it was just a th- it was just over a film that um was a misunderstanding and a mishandling of it was a, it was just over a film that I th- this was this was the beach yeah yeah and it did it's it's a big regret of mine that it went on for so very long it's a shame we didn't work together all those years yeah. not because of any particular film and it didn't really matter about the beach it was never about the beach it was about our f- friendship and the f- and how much um, I I felt like Danny's I was in through the first three movies you know Shallow Grave Train Spotting and then A Life Less Ordinary and then I wasn't in the fourth and I was a bit it, it made me a bit rudderless I didn't quite. 
get it. And um, yeah, we didn't we didn't speak for a long time, which was such a waste. Because so it began with a, a lunch. Was it? is the lunch when it's when you told him he wasn't going to be in the beach? Yeah, and I think we I handled it very very badly, and I, I I've apologised to you, and and, and I, I kind of feel a shame about it. That's very difficult to. You know, it's one of the things, weirdly, that the film's about, is about trying to express emotions. And I felt a great shame about it, really. I was not proud of the way I handled it. And he, actually, handled it with enormous grace. Cos, you know, you, you, you see these actors and they do big things and you hear these stories about them, and he handles all his world with enormous grace. And the weirdest thing is I like the beach. We talked about the beach on our Leo B-sides. If you read the, it's funny because Richard's British in the book. I know. And and it probably should have been Ewan McGregor, right? Like he's yeah. probably a better Richard. I think Leo's kind of doing interesting things a little bit in that movie, but the movie almost works despite Leo, kind of. Yeah, and it's especially because like, like I think, and we talked about this on our Leonardo DiCaprio episode, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time, I think Leo was still kind of. He was like too out. big he, and, and, but he, and he was yeah. also i think still figuring out what kind of movie star he was right yeah, yeah. and and ewan mcgregor kind of already kind of had that in on lock so it just well and it the just richard would have served the yeah. movie better in a number of ways and there's so many things about the richard character being british that kind of make it better like just the 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 now obviously there's so much imperialism american wise but like the direct britain to Southeast Asia, right? I mean, like the whole yeah. thing is so much more, like there's so much more texture there, right? Yeah. And it's like obviously what Garland intended, and Garland didn't write. What's so weird too is I, I never. It's so strange. It's like Garland didn't write the screenplay. John Hodge wrote it. He hated the movie, and then he makes like two of the three next Danny Boyle movies. I like never get over that. It's like he hated the movie. Then he's like, oh, but hang on. Let me write 28 Days Later. Great movie. We all love it. it and then weird. I'll write and then I'll write Sunshine, which I love it. But that's more of a uh, people feel different ways about that. But like and like Garland doesn't like Sunshine either. So it's weird <laughs> that like Garland made one he liked and then betwixt is like two. And then now, obviously, he's gone on to his own successful filmmaking career. But um, anyway, we're not here to talk about the beach. A lifeless ordinary. Um, okay, I didn't. I didn't think I liked it. I rewatched it. I still don't love it. But I don't know. Saying it's a sellout, it's so weird to say it's sellout to me. It's like it's too weird to be. Yeah. Like, you know what I, I mean? Get, I, I get that it's like a really weird film, but I think just purely the fact that it had American Hollywood stars yeah, in it. Yeah. I mean, it's only really that aspect that was seen right. as a bit like, oh, he's, he's Hollywood now. Yeah. Um, There's a claymation at the end. There's I like... love that. I love <laughs> but, uh, and can we talk about the depth of the supporting cast? So, oh, as, yeah. like, Lindo and Hunter are amazing in it, but also in tiny roles, you've got Ian Holm, who isn't in it that much, Tony Shellhope turns up like at the end, yeah, and um, Tim yeah. and Timothy Oliphant is in it as well. Yes, yep. and yeah. and Stanley Tucci. Yes, yeah, we didn't mention Stanley Tucci because yeah. the reason Cameron Diaz is in hot bother right, at right, the right, start right, right. of the film is because she shot her boyfriend who yeah. had an apple on his head. It's one of those things that it it um it feels I'm so of its time, right? Yeah. Like it's making all the mistakes that the bad <laughs> versions of these kind of movies are making. Right. And <laughs> to me, I mean, I'm 
I by and large overall I like Danny Boyle as a filmmaker. Um I think I I think you could argue any movie he's directed is at, is at least marginally more interesting because he directed it, right? Like including this one, right? Like this this movie could have been so much worse if it yeah. wasn't made by him. Um but it does I mean when you look at what he does with John Hodge, like they worked on Shallow Grave, right? And this doesn't feel like the team that made Shallow Grave to me, but it definitely feels like the team that eventually makes Trance. Right. Like, and because I feel like that movie, it, they, they, I feel like they've got a lot of the same problems where it's just like they're like, they're throwing, they're like no bad ideas kind of thing. I was thing. about to say, it, it is so jam-packed with like, there's it, so much going on. It's a so um, much, it's so much movie, right? Like, yeah. And I yeah. just can't help but feel you know, and I say this a lot on the show, whenever a movie's kind of like this is like, just, you know, c commit to one, like make it one <laughs> kind of movie. Right. And I don't know. I, I believe if you look, I believe like that was Ebert's review of it at the time kind of was like, they have decent enough chemistry that you kind of, with all the trappings that this movie has, you kind of just wish it was a little bit more of Ewan McGregor and Cameron Diaz falling in love in like a normal movie. Um, well, but to, but to Fiona's point, I mean, why make a boring movie? I mean, no, that's, no, no, I think no, the, no, the, the argument for it would be I that, think, right? Yeah, no, then I think that's the 2020 hindsight of it, right? Like, at the time in 97, that feels like a totally valid argument from Ebert. But, like, if it is that movie, then it's definitely a B-side, and absolutely <laughs> no one is talking about it but us right now, right? Like, so it's, yeah. it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing, I think. But I, I love the involvement of the angels and I love the whole setup of like, you know, the white kind of heaven set. Sure. But I do agree that I think Lindo and Hunter there, the violence and like the physical kind of comedy that all gets a bit much like they, yeah. you know, that could have been pared down a bit. But other than that, I, I kind of like the whole thing, to be honest. And um, it's interesting, I think you earlier mentioned there's something about Mary and there's actually like a song and dance number in the midst of all this. Oh, yeah. Which um, is very nice. And, and um, it does prove that like her character in there's something. Uh, sorry, it, My Best Friend's Wedding. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. I said totally the wrong movie. Like her character in My Best Friend's Wedding, Cameron Diaz cannot sing at all. Right, and right, right, yet right, right. She <laughs> and yet she sings in A Life Less Ordinary. And well, there's this whole, like, song and dance number, and then it becomes, like, this Hollywood, like, they change clothes, and it becomes, like, a Hollywood thing. That's that's probably my favorite part of the movie. And it's funny, re-watching these Ewan movies, I remember him getting shit from Moulin Rouge, right, in the sense of, like, Oh, these Hollywood actors singing these, you know, like their voices are a little too thin, blah, blah, blah. And I find it so funny because he's a good singer. Like he can I, he's sing. not a, he's not a Broadway singer, fine. But like in all of these movies, I mean, he sings in Nora, right? Because James Joyce was a singer, right? James Joyce in real life sang and then ultimately became a writer. So like he sings in Nora, he sings in Lifeless, he sings Sing in Down um, With Love. Down With Love, for God's sake. And, it, you know, I think um, it's just funny to watch it and, you know. I love I, his, anyway. his sincerity when he sings. Like he's a really good performer yeah. when he sings. So although although he might not have the strongest, like you say, proper um broadway voice he he really communicates the song well 
Um, actually, I mean, this is more related to Down With Love, but um, Lipstick On Your Collar, he sing is a musical, so he sings in it. And I saw him on stage do Guys and Dolls. So oh, wow. he so he can, his sort of 1950s musical thing, <laughs> is, or 60s in the case of Down With Love, like that's kind of something he does really well. And it's like this sort of style where he does this sort of cheesy sincerity, but he really communicates it well. Yeah, I mean, Down With Love is our next movie, so we'll, we're, we can kind of start fading into that because you're totally right, I think. It totally works. I mean, yeah, Moulin Rouge, I was just going to say, is another big inflection point in his career where it's right after Phantom Menace, right? He's kind of a full-blown star at this point. And then Moulin Rouge comes at kind of the perfect time. It's funny. We had the great Alessandro Nivola on our podcast recently, somewhat recently, and he was in Kenneth Branagh's Love's Labor's Lost. <gasps> I love that which, movie. Which we talked oh, to them about. that makes me so happy. Yeah. You should listen, you yeah. should listen I to... Uh, I love Alessandro Nivola. And, yeah. and, and the reason I love him is because of Love's Labor's Lost. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta listen to that episode because we <laughs> talk a lot about it. Uh, and he talks about making it and whatnot. And he blames Moulin Rouge for like love's labor kind of getting okay. brushed aside, which I think the dates don't quite match up, but like, <laughs> but it's always, you just got to remember that like, it's always a little confusing because like movies, they come out, but they're being made for years. So like actors, yeah. like he knew, they knew Moulin Rouge was coming, right? Yeah. So when he's saying Moulin Rouge derailed, he's probably not wrong, right? I think like the vibe of that picture potentially you know, with Brana being kind of on the back end of his like Shakespeare period, if you will, yeah. it all coalesced in, a, in maybe a negative way for Love's Labor's Lost. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, so Ewan, with all the singing, um, just to kind of give a little bit of context, you have a lifeless ordinary. It doesn't quite hit the way uh, Train Spotting does, of course, and then basically you have right after that is the big year. Well, two years. It's Velvet Goldmine, Little Voice, both in 98. Obviously, The Phantom Menace. Uh, he's in a movie called Eye of the Beholder, which is like a famously bad movie. I watched, I rewatched a little bit of it this morning. I saw that movie like, I was, I, I, I don't know how young I was, but I saw that movie the, the minute it became available. For some reason, I was like wanting to watch that movie. And <laughs> as a young man, I was like, this is pretty good. And I had not seen Vertigo or anything, you know, whatever. And then like going back, you're certainly like, whoa, they were trying some things in this one. Doesn't really hit. Um, so that's, that's uh, 99. Norris 2000, we mentioned. Moulin Rouge, he's got, he's, he's the star big hit black hawk down he's in it for a little bit uh along with every other every other white actor whoever was alive <laughs> and um attack of the clones is really the only one um he's in uh oh that's funny i'm looking at his thing uh dennis lawson directed a little short film that he's in as a matter of fact uh that year but um attack of the clones oh two and then oh three is a huge year for him on every different level right he's young adam small movie dave mckenzie great down with love big movie doesn't perform particularly well though it's great in my opinion and big fish which is certainly not a certainly not a B side, but a movie that I also love. So like two two kind of big ones, and in, in at least my you and love are two thousand and three. So down with love, Peyton Reed. It's a 
It's a spoof, but not. It's really more of like a love letter yeah. with a wink. Homage. Homage yeah. to, <laughs> to the Doris Day Rock Hudson movies of the more the 60s and the 50s, like you said, Fiona. Yeah. And um, all of the innuendo, you know, all of the small innuendo is made big, right? And and like his name is Catcher Block, hysterical. We love it. And um, <laughs> the premise, Connor, you had just, Connor, you watched this for the first time, right? Yeah, so I thought I had seen this movie. This was like one of those ones that I was like, I, you know, anytime it would come up, I, I knew it visually in my brain. Like I was like, oh yeah, that one. And I had two friends uh, in high school who loved this movie. And I maybe I did like catch pieces of it or whatever. So I had assumed I had. And I got about like 15 minutes into this and like realized I had not. Um, <laughs> I basically like this movie. Yeah, it's basically uh, Ewan McGregor plays a Playboy journalist for like a men's magazine. And uh, Renee Zellweger plays a feminist author who is kind of becomes this gigantic success and essentially because of that poses you know in this you know comically <laughs> insane satirical way pose, poses a threat to all men everywhere <laughs> um because she's empowering women uh, all over the world with her book and ewan mcgregor sort of goes undercover as uh what's it zip martin right is the name he chooses <laughs> as like an astronaut as like an ast- it, it makes total sense yeah it does because yeah. <laughs> uh, the 60s you know um but but he goes undercover as an astronaut to kind of woo her and <laughs> basic, basically get her to like contradict the thesis of her book and and out her in that regard and and uh you know wouldn't you know as things as these things go he ultimately actually falls in love with her and I don't know if we want to get to certain things that happen at, at a specific point in the movie, but I basically I basically really enjoyed this movie kind of up until it takes a turn uh, near the end, only because I feel like that to me is where the movie loses its pretty good handle on that fine line between like spoof and love letter and like how much it wants you to earnestly feel for these characters versus kind of just throwing it all out to to kind of just go as kind of crazy or zany as it wants to be so that was that was something i struggled with i think in the near the third act of the movie but other than that i think all the all the gags pretty much work really well like there's the the sarah sarah paulson plays uh renee zellweger's editor she's (laughs) so good sarah paulson and david high pierce are both i know probably probably the mvps of the movie if we're that's like my dream having those two in it is just an absolute dream yeah and they're they're perfectly i I would say the all four leads feel perfectly cast in so far as like if you're trying to feel like you know if you're trying to get that feel for a uh like a stanley donnan or you know that kind of era of uh of casting it all feels right i feel like ewan doesn't give so much of like a rock hudson vibe to me as he does like a rod taylor vibe kind of um have either have either of you seen sunday in new york rod Rod taylor and jane fonda and uh, cliff roberts um, I have not no Cliff Robertson said his name, uh, but yeah, that's kind of a it's that's like one of these movies, right? Uh, but it's it's kind of a fun one. Yeah, and the yeah the most the most direct movie this is referencing obviously is Pillow Talk, yes, right? From '59, yeah. which, which is directed Rock, by Rock Hudson, yeah, which is Rock Hudson yeah. Doors Day, and um, 
is directed by Michael Gordon, who's a lesser known director, you know, compared to, you know, the, like your Stanley Donans and whatnot. Um, but Doris Day made a bunch of these movies and the casting of Renee Zellweger is very smart, of course, because she has that old Hollywood thing, of course, that makes her being playing Judy Garland makes sense and all these things because she has that look, right? That's and the whole thing. Judy is in Down With Love. I was like... That's, uh, that, that's like the Judy song and then I suddenly realized like oh yeah and then Renee played her <laughs> yeah it's such a smart yeah nod of the nod of the cap because the name of the book I don't know if you said this directly Connor but the name of the book that um she's written is down with love right and so yes sorry I just I uh, glossed over that <laughs> that that's what the whole thing is about and um yeah to your point about the ending I guess I hear what you're saying I think my thinking with it I mean this is like a five-star movie for me like so I like it's one of my favorite movies so I obviously disagree in that way but my my defense would be simply that if you watch a lot of those movies like a lot of those like Doris Day movies and I'm trying to find the one she made specifically with oh yeah 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 like the thrill of it all with James Garner and Doris yeah. Day a lesser seen one the end of that movie it's that it goes nuts like it becomes full slapstick like bonkers stuff so like i always yeah. think if you talk to peyton reed especially had that yeah i feel like peyton reed's defense would be like yeah but they do that you know like people jump on helicopters yeah. and I, no no and that's that's not the stuff it's not like the helicopter stuff or even because obviously this movie lets you know right away with like its set design and it's you know it's production design it's costumes all of it it's like yeah it's like a little bit of this heightened reality even for a movie that's referencing these <laughs> rom-coms from the 60s right it's i think what what the disconnect and i won't spoil what the turns are per se but i feel like it's that both characters in the third act of the movie kind of turn into it like to me and i think i said this to you off mic dan but it almost turns into this like competition of which one's the bigger psychopath kind of <laughs> like in terms of the way they're behaving. And so that to me is where the movie kind of gives up on like, I, I don't know it. I don't know. It, it kind of breaks with its own formula a little bit. And I think for a movie that's seemingly the entire time, it's undercutting certain things from these movies and poking fun at them in a really light, nice, playful way to then lean on Oh yeah, but this is the crazy way people behave in those movies anyway, and and go full bore with it. I think in the third act, it, I don't know it, it just feels a little inconsistent to me. That said, I think it's this movie is significantly charming. It's I think a wonderful escape. Frankly, my my wife and I watched it like Friday night, and we were just both in it. You know, it's like it's a nice movie to, uh, it's a nice movie to luxuriate in, um, yeah. and they have such excellent chemistry i think it's um i don't know if he's necessarily i mean maybe this is maybe i just haven't really thought about it i don't know if he's like a chemistry machine like i don't know if he's always had chemistry with like every like leading lady he's acted opposite but it almost feels that way like i i can't off the top because even even a life less ordinary, which I don't love, like I feel like they're very good together in that. Yeah. Um, well, what do you think? Very good. He's what very good think? at chemistry. Fiona, do you? Th what do you think chemistry wise? Does he? I feel like he ha usually has good chemistry with his leading ladies. I feel. Yeah, like. and he has this thing which, 
Alana Bennett calls the look to do with how men look at women on screen. Mm-hmm. And he he has this thing where <laughs> I'm going to sound like a psycho, but he can make his eyes really shiny. <laughs> so, like, you know, like an anime character. And it's <laughs> he's just like he has this way of looking really happy when he looks at a woman on screen. And he he really does it in Moulin Rouge. And it's just very convincing. Yeah, it's a starry eyed, bright eyed, bushy tailed yeah. thing. And it go- kind of goes along with his what you said about his singing qualities, because it's he has a way of playing earnestness. Yeah, that. that feels so warm and inviting as opposed to cloying or you know, like yeah it and it 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 works and that that's where it absolutely works in Milan Rouge because like I say it's not the strongest singer in a ten- technical way or most powerful singer but yeah. his sincerity was what just breaks my heart so and his desperation really comes across when he's singing in that film and in this I feel like it's such a nice because he's uh, he's sort of weirdly kind of playing against type and in, 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 at least in terms of what we're talking about here, because he's obviously very insincere. Right. But, but like he's an insincere man playing a sincere man. Play, so, yeah. and so it all kind of comes through it, I think it's a really excellent performance and he, it, I wish like, I don't know. It's like, I wish I could just take him and put him in like a time machine and actually send him into like one of these movies and just, just to like see him in this environment more. Cause like, you know, I don't know how many down with loves I need, but, but it is like a, I, I think it's such a wonderful vehicle for him. Um, and I feel like, I guess that was sort now that we're like talking about it, I guess that was sort of his mode for a second. Like it's Moulin Rouge. It's this. He's got it in Big Fish as well. This like very earnest. Yeah, very much. Um, And so I guess it was like a mode that he was in, I suppose. Um, Isn't it funny how his accent that's like the fake Zip Martin accent is the real earnest accent from Big Fish? It's right. It's funny. I was thinking about that. Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm sorry. Do you mean that you've never heard of my book, The Worldwide Sensation Down With Love? No, ma'am, I have not. But lately I've been out of this world. Oh, look, my NASA security badge. I've been looking all over for that. You're an astronaut? Well, yes, I am. Well, what's your name? Maybe I've heard of you. Zip. Zip. Martin. Major Zip Martin. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Axum because we need to have a proper conversation about this. Sure. Well, what, so, so go ahead. Yeah, take, take it away. You, I think we have to acknowledge, as much as we all love him, that Ewan is very much a Sean Connery in that sure. he's <laughs> basically doing his own accent in every film and, re- and why he kept being cast as Americans when he cannot do an American accent it's to tough. save his life. It's really and it's tough. Um, I watched um, because of, because of what happened with Christopher Plummer. I watched Beginners for the first mm, time, uh-huh. and that's an that's an example of you and cannot do an accent to save his life. And um, but what's interesting about Down with Love is that when he's doing the Rip astronaut character, because it's exaggerated, he kind of is doing that accent quite well. It's like this is it kind of southern. It's like a kind of exaggerated cheesy kind of southern gentleman corn, i think he's going corn for fed. yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah well we have to say the cardinal sin of <laughs> his career in terms of accents and i think we 
all can agree if we've seen the movie <laughs> is August Osage County. Now, <laughs> why John Wells? God bless you, John Wells, ER, master producer, <laughs> right? But what John Wells was thinking, I will never understand where he was like, let's get Cumberbatch. Let's get McGregor. Let's bring him to the South. I just don't like those are two great actors, beloved guys. And you're just putting them in an unwinnable situation. You're just saying no. This like and I don't understand. As you guys were talking, I wanted to quickly shout this out. Connor, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, as many of you know, me and Connor went to film school together. There is a short film. That oh, are he... you going to talk about desserts? Yeah. Oh, desserts there... is great. Yeah, I'll put a link to it. It's on F... It's on uh, YouTube. There's uh, directed by Jeff Stark. Uh, it's four minutes long from 1999. It's called Desserts. I will not say anything about it. It's just a guy walking on the beach <laughs> and he finds an eclair. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> Um, we watched it in film school and it was like really a formative, like, (laughs) so simple, so simple. Yeah. There's a few things I always remember, like Cleo from five to seven was a Mm -hmm. game changer for me. Right. A few other things like that. But in terms of short films, Mark Osborne's more, which is like one of my favorite movies ever five minute animated. It's a masterpiece. I love it. Love it. Love it. And desserts like it, like impales my brain i think about it every like month i'm like god that one movie where that thing happened da, 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 da. Well, check it out it's it'll be in the article <laughs> uh crazy awesome short um anyway down with love uh final words on down with love fiona connor anything? yeah i had not seen down with love probably since it came out to be honest I see it on Twitter all the time. I, I see people like effusing about it all the time. And I was like, I really need to rewatch it. So I'm glad, glad that this came up because I finally <laughs> actually rewatched it. But in my head, in my memory, I thought it was a musical. Right. So right. my, I was a bit, a bit disappointed when I watched <laughs> it, <laughs> and it wasn't a musical um, until like right at the end. There is like a sort of song and dance number over like the end title over the but, credits, which yeah. is yeah. And my wife remarked at this. We both, you know, we both enjoyed the, our time watching the movie, but my wife was like, "This is the best part of the movie." Yeah, it, I, I really is. feel like it should have been a musical, to be honest. Um, so yeah, uh, that was a slight disappointing thing. I mean, I did enjoy it, but yeah, the accent was a bit of an issue for me and, um, the lack of it not being a musical, but, um, uh, David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson, oh my God. I, I probably, I probably love them more than Ewan and Renee. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, every, every time they come on screen, it's just the, you know, amazing. The gag with the billowing smoke. <laughs> In, with Sarah Paulson is, is just something that I just oh god it's chef's kiss. Um, when 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 David I when David I Pierce goes, I would I would love you day and hate you by night and then and she just has the best line where she's like Peter you would <laughs> she she is the she you're I spent the whole movie thinking David I Pierce I'm a huge Fraser guy so am I. guilty as charged what you know. Don't at me, whatever. <laughs> I love it. But David Hyde Pierce, that's like, I love him. Obviously, he's Niles, and he's so great in this. But actually, upon this rewatch, to you, your guys' point, it might be Paulson's movie. She is like, she's amazing. So she's unstoppable. She's so and like, good. It's, I think, like, you know, credit to kind of everybody involved behind the camera, too, because I just think, like, you know, Peyton Reed knows what he's doing, whether 
the outfits on her are out. So all yeah. of her wardrobe is outstanding. Um, it is amazing. And it's, yeah, I mean. When every time they go into the restaurant with the different outfits. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's so I love good. that. It's great. It's so and funny. I think, it, I do think this movie is, you know, on an aesthetic level, I think it's perfectly calibrated because it's like every good decision those movies from the 60s made in terms of like being enjoyable and easy to take in. Um, and so that's something that I, yeah, I really enjoyed. It's funny you mentioned the Sean Connery of it all, Fiona, <laughs> because it is, I definitely agree, and it's always a problem that I've had with Ewan McGregor when it came to American accents, but I will say, I do think two, maybe not my all-time favorite, but two of my favorite performances of his are Beginners, and most recently, I loved his performance in Dr. Sleep. Um both of which yeah. he has to commit to a, you know, in a, a very Don't, American, yeah. American accent. But he's, it, I feel like a credit to him as a performer. Same thing with Sean Connery. It's that, it's that movie star thing where you can kind of just like get through it. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, it doesn't, he somehow finds a way for it to not bring the whole performance. Yeah. Crashing. I think, if, I think if he's doing something quite specific and like we say, maybe a bit heightened, he he's better. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Sleep, to be fair, he's like, his accent isn't terrible in that. Um, I think he's maybe got better. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> well, I, would, I would agree. I would agree. I was going to say he, he's, I mean, in my opinion, he's a good example of an actor who I do think has aged up and is, you can see him you can see his growth and his diversity of emotion as he's gotten older like you know as good as he might be in the pillow book yeah right or you know or even obi-wan to some degree right if we're going back in dr sleep which is a great example there's a lot more happening on his face mm -hmm. right like just like well, as a performer, I, right? I Which think I think is common of a lot of older actors. Like Tom Cruise aside, though we love Tom <laughs> Cruise, you know, where I think there's a little bit of a regression there, God bless, you know. But like as they get older, Hugh Jackman, <laughs> for Hugh Jackman, for goodness sake, right, is is a good example of that. Where a little bit more on the face, a little bit more, you know, aging, bad education, Logan, where it's like, oh yeah, there's more happening. I feel like I feel more from them. So Ewan is definitely, I think, a good example of that because he's fifty. He's he's going to be fifty in a, a couple months. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, literally a, a a month from from like when this drops at the end of March, yeah. he'll be fifty. I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> la 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 la. Um, no, but credit credit to him, and I I think it's the kind of thing. I mean, we we said obviously he, you know, the pillow book. He's like perfect. Um, but I also. And I guess I'll use this as a segue, but, you know, last night my wife and I watched Perfect Sense and I did remark. I was like, I, he definitely, I think, gets, you know, better be and, and just more handsome. Like you're just like, I feel like the more <laughs> he wears a little bit of the wrinkles and a little bit of the scruff and the raggedness, you're like, oh, yeah, who's that guy who's lived life? Like, tell me about him. Well, um, and before we talk about Perfect Sense, let's use this moment. We're going to spend 15 minutes or so talking about robots. <laughs> so uh, just just directed by Chris Wedge. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
Um, so yeah, <laughs> so um, Perfect Sense is our last movie. There's a million movies in between. Yeah, Obviously, so many. <laughs> the final uh, Star War happens, and what's funny is there was never another Star War movie after that. Right, that was famously the last, that was the last one. Revenge yeah. of the Sith we, was the we last one. We never heard from the, the Star Wars universe again, ever again. Yeah, right. That closed <laughs> the loop on that tale, and we all remember it fondly, and nothing ever happened ever since. Um, he's in a million things: Miss Potter, Cassandra's dream incendiary deception angels and demons which let me just say quickly i rewatched angels and demons has nothing to do with this podcast wow just <laughs> let me just say and i tweet i tweeted this the last 20 minutes of angels and demons i had forgotten what <laughs> the i'm just gonna quickly tell you what happens he's the I, villain I okay love, <laughs> i'm sorry but i love angels and demons no 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 i i i enjoyed the movie to be honest but like <laughs> So basically, it's about this like antimatter weapon, right? That's it's happening in the Vatican while they're trying to choose a new pope. Okay, that's the Paul, setup. Paul Bettany keeps lashing himself. Right, right. I believe I believe that's the Da Vinci Code, but same deal, yeah. And 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 um and Ewan is like the he's like the assist. He's the yeah. He's the Carmelengo. He's like the assistant. He's like the Dwight in the office to the Pope, right? And he <laughs> he turns out is the mastermind behind the whole thing. And the way he has it in his mind to get elected Pope is he gets in a helicopter, takes the <laughs> antimatter bomb, flies it up into the atmosphere, parachutes out of the helicopter. The bomb goes off and he saves the world, but he almost dies. But it's all part of his plan and then he forgets that there are cameras in the Vatican and he gets caught by Tom Hanks. And that's the end of the movie. And you're like, wait a minute, dude. You were like, I let me almost die from a helicopter hero act, but not disconnect the camera in my off. Dude, it's like the craziest shit. But I it's a fun movie. Well, um, I think that's a good that I mean we don't have to dwell on it, but it is a good another good example of yeah. him keying into the movie he is <laughs> yeah. in and he is consistently yeah that's very true. good at that like even if the movie doesn't rise to the occasion <laughs> he sometimes has to sink to meet it right like <laughs> he is not afraid to do that and i think it's super commendable <laughs> yeah and then so perfect sense is 2011 quick shout out to the ghost writer which it's one of my favorite of his performances, actually. I think who we was directed by nobody. Nobody directed the movie. We don't have to talk about that. But yeah, but but he he is he is great. Yeah, in it. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a Pier also also one of Pierce Brosnan's best uh, performances. Um, Agreed. But anyway, Haywire. Uh, not Haywire. Sorry. Uh, Perfect he, Sense. Even he, though he's he's, he's good, good in Haywire. He's good in Haywire too. <laughs> um, Perfect Sense is the saddest movie ever made now because we're living in a pandemic. <laughs> um, directed by David McKenzie, as we mentioned. It's a movie in which he's a chef in London. Ava Green, the great Ava Green, is a epidemiologist in London. They live. He works at the restaurant across the street from her flat. They are they in London or are they somewhere is in it, Scotland? I thought it is it. I thought it was London. No, um, I could let me double check. Maybe it but, is. I I only say that because she has like, and I don't mean to get ahead of it, but she has like the beginnings of a Scottish brogue that she's like doing and kind yeah. of forgets. So I, and I there could, are other Scottish act, 
So it, then, may, I could be wrong then, because I think Dave McKenzie is Scottish, it. right? So, yeah. so, so let's so let's retract London. London, <laughs> I apologize, but they're in a, a a city in the United Kingdom, let's say, and um, for now, oof, yeah, Scotland. <laughs> and um, basically, what starts happening is as they begin to fall in love, get to know each other, everybody begins to lose senses one by one right so it so it kind of goes it begins with is it smell Smell, right yeah smell and then taste taste and and then and and you and is a chef so there's a slight slight issue with the the first two yeah and it's it's a pretty understated romance um i believe i saw this movie at sundance in 2011 um is where i believe it premiered um I really liked it at the time, but I remember vividly there being a demarcation point of like critics who were on the level of the movie, right? Because it is a bit silly maybe because sure. it's just people acting like they can't taste or whatever, right? And then there was like another group that thought it was silly and another group that kind of went with it. And I was certainly uh, someone who went with it, right? Um, I have to say, and I would have to think watching it now. Like I was like, this is what it is like, <laughs> yeah. because 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 it's you know obviously this is an epidemic where there is no cure, and it's way scarier in the sense of like, and this is a spoiler for the movie, but like they're not going to find a cure basically, right? She's an epidemiologist, and like they are panicking, right? Yeah. So in the COVID of it all, it's a little different because there well, is and there uh, is somewhat of a thing. There is anyway. even rooted in the symptoms of the disease. A state of panic. Yeah. I mean, I'll say, I think this is my favorite of the four movies that we're talking about. And mm. I think part of it is because how deftly Mackenzie knows to like hold your hand a little bit and also just like let you go with it. Right. Yeah. And so you have this narration, right, that carries you through from moment to moment to kind of hold your hand, right, and explain what's going on. But also, uh, gives you just enough so that as this sort of cyclical ever escalating pandemic unfolds with this debilitating disease you then have been trained to like expect certain things and and be aware and um i remember seeing this around like 2012 or whenever i didn't see it at sundance or anything but i remember i saw it like around the time it came out and i liked it fine enough i remember thinking it was like yeah, it got a it barely got released. Yeah. IFC put it out. It was yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. I think I may have even seen it at the IFC theater. I think that, that would be that, where you that would have, might have seen been it. Yeah. Where, where I would have seen it. But yeah. the I remember thinking that it like it was good, not great, and that it you know it felt silly. And it is just one of those rewatching it. You're like this feels a lot less silly. <laughs> like well, yeah, you know. And the nate granted the nature of the disease, obviously with those fits of rage and despair and things like that that still reads a little silly but also like my my wife and i were saying like if this were actually happening like if this is what covid was wouldn't that be even more marginally terrifying because you wouldn't know if your emotional breakdown is you having a breakdown or if it's you having the yeah yeah and it's uh yeah i don't know well and and we should mention i don't and the thing look with covid people lose smell and taste in some respects right right? you smell most specifically so i mean that alone is crazy right that like now we're dealing in a very specific way there's this thing but i think the thing and fiona i want to hear kind of your thoughts obviously 
The thing for me is I think the understated nature of it put people off like we're kind of talking about initially, but living through a pandemic as we are recording this virtually because none of us can see each other partly, right, is that's part of the deal, right? Like the panic that was March that we all experienced in our own ways gives way to panic, gives way to like, we got to make a paycheck. We got to pay the mortgage, the rent, whatever. And all of a sudden, five hundred thousand people has have died, and you, you know, I'm my wife goes to Whole Foods or whatever, right? And like your life goes it's on this, a little bit, and it's yeah. scary because it's normalized, yeah. and like that move, this movie, more than Contagion, more than Outbreak or whatever, like really, mm-hmm. really digs into it in a way that's like surprisingly real like i that that was the thing i forgot about uh and anyway fiona uh, pass it over to you but i saw this film quite recently in the last like six months and yeah i mean i i i'm the kind of person who cries at movies a lot anyway so i did find it quite devastating and quite a lot but uh, to me it wasn't so much to do with what we're going through at the moment. Like I would have found that really emotional, I think, watching it any at any time, to be honest, because I think I think Eva Green's one of our best actresses. I think oh, they're both amen. selling it so well. Um and a I mean talking about kind of the pandemic films, a film came out on Friday that is very similar to Perfect Sense. It's called Little Fish. Little Fish, Fish yeah. yeah. So it's got Olivia Cook and Jack O'Connell, and it's about somebody, people losing their memory. And some people lose it very suddenly, and some people lose it gradually. And it's about, obviously, people are kind of very scared about this, and it's, it's you know, kind of a pandemic movie, basically. And I know that you guys have just been at this most recent Sundance, and it's obviously start, starting, it was very obvious from this year's Sundance Sundance, that people are definitely starting to make movies that are responding to this current time because there were so many kind of like apocalyptic films or there was Pink Cloud, there were, you know, quite a few. And I know Pink Cloud had been, you know, apparently preceded it a bit, but... Well, Sam is Little Fish, right? Like they both were being made before, but obviously... Yeah, Yeah. but I think a lot of it is probably a reaction to things like climate change, and it's like, and that's the scariest thing is that we we already were kind of starting to respond (laughs) to the fact that we're globally fucked, and then uh, yeah, the uh, pandemic happened. But anyway, but yeah, Perfect Sense is a very very good movie, and I can I mention one of my favorite things about it, which is the Max. Oh my god! Oh my god! (laughs) It is. It's absolutely. It is another planet. It's another planet. Like I, Uh, yeah. Immediately, and I was trying to think, like, because and to your point, Fiona, and it's a good point to make. Like, this movie is viscerally affecting even outside of the current. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I do think. I mean, their performances are wonderful. David McKenzie directs the shit out of this movie. This movie looks beautiful. We should note it's very well shot. Uh, but yeah, and Matt, clearly but, on a small budget too. He does yeah. a lot with uh, like stock footage. And, yeah, yeah, still, it's good. Fo- still photography, and it's it's finds its own way to be really like lush and interesting to look at. Um, yeah, and the but the yeah the Max Max Richter might be the MVP of this movie in that regard because he just like elevates the whole thing to a fucking celestial plane. <laughs> like 
it's it's true it's tremendous And also, you know, talking about Ewan with Ava Green, that might be the best partner he's ever had on screen in terms Pro- of like probably ma- matching, matching gifts. Sure. Like yeah. Ava Green, the stuff that she does so well, it kind of does match what Ewan does so well. The um, their their outright emotion. Right. Like you were talking about, Fiona, like making his eyes shine, which is such a true, (laughs) so true. I mean, it's such a true thing. She, I mean, she, she's one of the most beautiful women alive, of course, but it's not just, it's like, she's also one of the strangest women, like, but in the way that's like the Pattinson thing of like, what is this creature? Who is she's? elusive right she's elusive and you know it's why like penny dreadful she's so good because it's like that's a perfect role for her the dreamers of course right where it's like these like outsized humans in maybe a more you know in stories that almost can barely contain them right and and ava green is very like the rest of the movie understated here but the her eyes and her like everything about her cannot be tamped down and mckenzie does a good job of like like utilizing that when needed yeah and they were just amazingly framed shots like the shot that was the poster i think for a lot of in a lot of countries where it's their two faces you know he's you know she's looking up and he's looking at her and it like makes one face that's in the film i mean that's like the best you know one of the most beautiful shots in the movie and yeah max richter i don't know if i knew who he was in 2011 when i saw this movie but of course now I listen to him every night because his sleep album is the only thing that gets me to sleep. And um, that's true. That's a true statement. And um, with the minute it started playing, I was like, oh my God, that's right. I got, 10 like, years ago. I, got, I couldn't like, believe excited, it. excited kind of like, I, yeah. cause it's obviously like you and like to that point, like listener, you would, you would know the cues in this movie because like they've been used in trailers and other films and all sorts of stuff. And, so, or if you've just, uh, you know, if you know Max Richter in general, so it is weirdly like I, I forgot about it and then <laughs> rewatching it last night, like as soon as like the first notes hit, I was like, oh yeah, I am in like, let's <laughs> go. And it just, uh, y- yeah, there's, there, I don't know. There's like a lot to love with this movie. Like the, I don't know if we mentioned it before. We should mention Dennis Lawson is in this movie uh, yeah. Yeah. as the, as the owner, manager and, of the and restaurant. And you and Bremner. Yes. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love you. From Trans- yeah, also an amazing performance as well in this movie. I the um you know, there was an interview with Ewan McGregor where he talked about how he loved working on this movie because one of the highlights of it was that he got to work, finally really work uh across from his uncle and uh and obviously they have a nice screen presence together in the few scenes that they have. 
Um, the other thing that I thought was fascinating about this movie, and this is something you touched upon, Dan, but the how well it sneak like how sneakily it introduces you to the very acceptable cycles of coping right and like mm. and that's i mean right that's like the ethos of the movie basically is that like it might get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse but like the weirdly hopeful thing is like somehow we're always gonna find a way to equalize with how much worse it gets like in a- I love I love the way they try and make the restaurant work when oh, pe- like people have lost their sense of smell yeah, and taste, yeah. <laughs> and it becomes about yep. it becomes about like texture and presentation, so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. And they start working with like more colorful foods, and I thought that's the type of stuff in this movie, and that that's the stuff that I think in really in the most successful small sci-fi, right? Yeah, that's the stuff that sings, really, because you that's when you know that whoever's behind this, whether it's based on a book or whatever, like that's when you know that the people kind of uh, behind the curtain are really trying to think it through. And I think it's a test. I think the reason this movie feels so normal compared to what we're currently going through is because it feels like something that was very thoroughly thought through in terms of like what this thing would how like, how right? how human beings really react to yeah, things yeah 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 it's really important and and i think you know it's something like uh, you know if you were to look at something like children of men that is a successful science piece of science fiction for all the same reasons where it's like the thing that got me the most that actually like took my breath away a little bit like when they mention it is um the vo- the piece of narration where she mentions like Oh, like people started to like lose memories because they lost their sense of smell. Yeah. Because of how tied together those two things are. And it was, yeah, I don't know. I was just. It's it's in the same way as as I was saying earlier, is that music can be such a memory trigger as well. And and that's the, the other devastating thing about, you know, once they start to lose the other senses as well. Yeah. Is, you know, you know hearing as well and not being able to be reminded because to me that is a huge memory trigger for me if i hear a certain piece of music i can oh, sure. be transported straight back to where well, i first the, heard it one of the best shots of the movie probably is you know and they yeah we basically kind of give it away the progression <laughs> of this movie which is fine i mean this is not a movie that will be ruined by spoiling um when people start losing their hearing, they go to this club and this band is playing this huge, this song really loudly. And Ewan just hugs the stage and he's like feeling the music. And it's like really yeah. sad. Like yeah. there's so many of those moments in this movie where look, we're all dealing with this moment in different ways. And like, I've talked about this with my wife. Like we have not seen family, like many people like in yeah, a year basically. And it really hits you. Like, I think we're doing pretty well compared to the rest. And you know, I do, I, I take nothing for granted and we're lucky, but the, there are moments where to the point of the, like, the crying and the, the the rage things that are connected with the uh the in the movie the uh the disease or whatever it's the same right i mean you'll, you you have a day where you're just like this is still happening and like all of a sudden you're like despondent or you're angry or yeah. whatever i mean it's very relatable in that way so it's strange how it didn't even really occur to me when we picked this movie until <laughs> i pressed play how it was like yeah <laughs> I was like, that's no, right. right. I, I remembered it was about a pandemic, but I just didn't 
yeah, right. I like didn't function to how astutely yeah. or accurately <laughs> observed uh, this movie was. The only mm. movie that was more affecting was Robots for me. Other than that, <laughs> Copperbottom, that was, Copperbottom really got you. Huh? Uh, I mean, the the uh, Mel Brooks voice acting in that movie is really just. Um, but so yeah, I mean, look, that's that's perfect sense. I'm happy we all really enjoyed it. I was kind of cu- most curious about that one in terms of kind of, like I said, it did get more of a mixed review when it came out. Um, you know, other things. Obviously, that's 2011. You know, 10 years have gone by. A fun thing I just wanted to shout out: his first feature movie really is a Bill Forsyth movie, which is just funny because he's also a Scotsman. Bill Forsyth one of our greatest um unfortunately that movie's being human which is not one of bill forsyth's better films it kind of got taken away from him a little bit it's a strange movie robin williams is the star um it's still worth a look uh ewan mcgregor's yeah, has a line in one of one of the incarnations of that movie uh but that's 94 um just kind of a funny little thing Cassandra's Dream, just in terms of scores, Philip Glass score in that movie, one of the greatest scores ever written, probably. So even though the movie itself isn't really maybe a standout, what Philip Glass is doing there is kind of incredible. Um, Yeah, a couple, I don't know, like Last Days in the Desert for me is, I love, 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 love. He plays Jesus. Uh, Rodrigo Garcia directed that one. Connor, you watched that before this? Is that right? I did. I literally watched it today. Did you? What do you think? Do you like it? Or uh, as a lapsed, I, as a lapsed Catholic, yeah, as a, what'd you as think? As the most lapsed Catholic you can be, um, I did like it quite a bit. Um, I feel probably like any lapsed Catholic, I dig a human Jesus, right? Because it's like, you know, yeah, just, that's yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I also the, the way that movie treats it, I think, is it it, it even goes beyond just. Beyond the simple thesis of like, hey, he was a guy too, right? Like it's it's more than that. It, it like, I it it finds a way to seep into the psychology of like, what if you were about to do this thing, right? And you had no idea if it was gonna work or whatever, right? And you had no idea really how it was gonna turn out, but you kind of know, and you have to do it anyway. Like, how do you psychologically put yourself in a headspace to do that kind of thing? And like, mm-hmm. I the treatment of i mean what i love about it is obviously he's also double billed as lucifer in the movie right? which is a great decision and it's yeah. no no it's a yeah it's a perfect decision i think creatively what i think is great about the movie and the way that it treats it is that like you don't have to call him lucifer like it's literally it takes that you know biblical very sort of fairy tale esque kind of storytelling you know magical storytelling out of it and that like oh this is just like the voice in his head that's like constantly second guessing himself right and so it's that's it's definitely i think you know it i think it's you know high up there in terms of in my mind in terms of his performances if you can stomach another white jesus right that's yeah i mean so that's that's a toughie but like you know i again if you can i mean the movie's full of good performances it's got like basically four actors in it and they all do pretty good work have you seen Um, that one uh fiona no i haven't oh we got you that's one that's one yeah it's on it's on crackle uh if you want to watch it it's not it's one of those movies it's sort of and not really in a bad way, but it maybe feels a little bit longer than it is because it's a very like, you know, I mean, it's Ewan McGregor alone in the desert or whatever. <laughs> um, but I believe it's under two hours. So it's 
Yeah. It's definitely, I, I think, it's, I don't even think you need to be someone who's like familiar with, you know, b- biblical no, it's storytelling the most, like, or anything like that. <laughs> it's the most interesting, I mean, in my, I mean, in, it's the most interesting part of the Jesus story, right? The, the, the doubtful days in the desert. You could, probably, uh, you could double bill it really well with like Last Temptation. Well, I was going to say yeah. the best, the best part of Last Temptation is when he goes out into the desert, right? The way they film that. Yeah. Um, it's totally formally different. It's complete. I mean, yes. Rodrigo, I mean, Rodrigo Garcia is like the nicest aesthetic director. And then, you know, Scorsese is way more intense. So you're, it's like a totally different vibe, but interesting, uh, adaptations of that kind of tale, different ways. And then, yeah, other things, obviously, you know, this or last year, rather 2020, Kathy uh, Jan's, uh, birds of prey he's the villain he's good in that one so he's you know dr sleep doing solid work i mean he's he ain't stopping obi-wan will be out in a disney plus or you know, yeah no, no 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 we're not gonna that's not happening we're not gonna talk. I, I, i'm just I'm, no i'm just saying these are things that are kind of happening i mean i think i will say this as someone who just you know i grew up a star wars fan and have said retired myself from that in so far as i you know i think a lot of people the online discourse just gets maddening or whatever but i mean if anything if i'm gonna watch any of their bullshit things <laughs> uh that that's the one i'll that's the one i'll take a peek at for for if if for nothing else than for a, then a little bit of you fiona are there any kind of highlights just... from his life that you or his life his life his career <laughs> His career. <laughs> Why, well, since you know him so well, yes, um, you know. Indeed. Sorry, no, um, I'm just double checking my list and seeing if there's anything I've been no, really annoyed. To, While you uh, double check, off. while you double check, I will recommend just because I, me and my wife just watched all of these seasons. We we are lovers of the long way down, long way yes, round. Yeah, long I'm glad way you up. mentioned that. I love so him and his yeah. friend, also an actor, Char- or used to be an Charlie actor, Charlie Borman. Borman. Yeah. Is Charlie Borman still an actor? Fiona, do you know? Is he, he, he like... was he was barely one to begin with, to be honest. Yes, okay, he, okay, he, was, okay. he was very much riding on the coattails of his name. Oh, that's okay, okay, okay. Um so Oh yeah, wait, is he really. related? Wait, is he related to John Borman? <laughs> Did you not know this? I'm a, I'm, I'm a dumbest. <laughs> I'm so no. I didn't even think to look it up. I didn't even think to look it up. I love it. It's the only reason that Charlie Borman is like even remotely a thing is because oh of his my dad. That's God, of course, of course. <laughs> oh my God, John Borman, great director. But anyway, so those those shows. Yeah. Uh, 04, 07 in 2020. I love the way that you can track Ewan's midlife crisis. Oh, my by, God. Via the long way down and up and whatever. Well, and to your point, Just... and me and my wife, so we started with Long Way Up because it's an Apple TV show, and the first two were BBC shows, of course. What's a little sad about it is at the end of the it's third what? one, Miriam is with Winstead's waiting for him. And then when you watch the first two, his wife, Ev, is very kind of... Involved, like you can't, yeah. she's in one of the shows, yeah, uh, for a portion, and that's just a little sad. I mean, it's like it is what it is, you know. It, you know, he Fargo, what are you gonna do? Fargo. I will, I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, I believe it was Katie Rich who posted this on Twitter, but this, like, this she she posted something like, This is the only Star Wars trilogy I'm interested in, and it literally was the headlines of like. Ewan McGregor makes fun of Star Wars. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Ewan, <laughs> Ewan McGregor gets divorced. Ewan McGregor says he's excited to play Obi-Wan Kenobi again. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, 
Yes. Uh, so it all tracks, you know. Um, but but like a nice thing about the Long Way show is, and this is just, I mean, this is in the show. In the first, in Long Way Round, where they, they circumnavigate the globe by motorcycle, basically, right? And they stop at this orphanage and he adopt he ultimately adopted his daughter one of his daughters from that you uh from the unicef right like, oh yeah yeah like it's a it's amazing that's a great story like there's a lot of stuff like that in those shows they're very well filmed heartwarming shows and both charlie barman and ewan seem like i, I read the books of those as well really but wow. yeah yeah. All right, so what do you think, Fiona? What else? What uh, else are we o- missing? The only one I want to mention is The Impossible. Oh, sure, yeah. The Tidal Wave movie, yeah. which I think he's very good in. In It's Naomi Watts. Yep. Uh, yeah, Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor and Tom Holland. Still Tom Holland's best performance. Um, I think and, you might be right. Yeah. And I think that it like the acting's very good in it. And I, you know... It absolutely emotionally wrecks me every time I watch it. Yeah, that's a movie I will defend as well. I like it's just technically a master, a marvel um, acting wise. Obviously, that movie doesn't really need to be said. It gets a lot of criticism because it's about a white family in a country of non-white people and focusing. And and the actual family it's based on were Spanish. They weren't weren't even like an English speaking family. Yes. So, yeah. So that's... I mean, look, I love The Last Samurai, too. You know what I mean? I don't know what to tell you. So, so like, there are problems uh, yeah. in that respect. But as a as a, uh, as a a piece of cinema, right, yeah. It's it's uh, I totally agree with you. That is definitely worth mentioning. Kind of an interesting smaller movie he made. Not really. It's it, I, I liked it well enough. He made Our Kind of Traitor recently, which is kind of a lesser... Um, um, John LaCarre, I believe, right? Or no, yes, yes, Archon Cherry, John LaCarre, yeah, who just passed away. An interesting enough movie. And then we should just mention um, that um, he is, so he directed a movie, American Pastoral, um, which is based on the Philip Roth book. So that's, I, I didn't get amazingly well received. A crazy thing I just have to mention is he played Lumiere <laughs> in. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, and he's playing the cricket in Pinocchio. Yeah, he's just he's just like cashing in on yeah, Disney he's giving, money. Look, mm. divorces are expensive, man. Yeah. Like, when, when you have that many kids, there. Yeah. I love yeah. I love you McGregor ta- on some late night show. He was talking about when they asked him to play Lumiere, and he was like, "Yeah, well, I'm not French, and I don't really can't really do a French accent, but yeah, yeah, whatever, I'll try." And he's like, "It's to watch that movie. You're like, yeah, you could like just get." any french actor like you know what was uh what was vincent castle doing for god's sake <laughs> right um, right what was jean dujardin doing he should have oh, yeah. so, oh my god seriously about? oh my god that's perfect why i know he, why didn't he I do know. it yeah <laughs> anyway. that would have made sense all right so final words what do we want to see you and do next i don't know i mean his career is so intense in terms of the sheer amount of roles i mean I guess I, I, yeah, I don't necessarily want to see him do the cricket in Pinocchio, but he's doing it. Um, <laughs> if it's me, if it's me, I'm hoping for robots too, but I'll pass it to you guys to tell me <laughs> what you hope to see from him in the future. Fiona, what do you think? Two, two main things I want from him in the future is more musicals <clears> and <throat> more, more full frontal. 
you get a little bit you get a little bit in perfect sense we didn't mention he brings it he brings it back so maybe we'll get of course some, he does yeah, it's a little in his cameo. maybe yes. we'll get something yeah. in, in obi-wan right because he's like living, oh he's God. living in the desert by himself that's basically what last days in the desert is frankly um <laughs> but um but yeah no those are i think those are both both great asks of, of future. Now, how about this? What if Robots Two is a musical with Full Frontal? <laughs> how about that? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't honestly. Maybe I just. Maybe we just call it. Maybe cut we just it cut, there. Yeah. Cut <laughs> as we leave, end. as we leave, uh, what is it? Rodney Copperbottom's penis yeah. in your head. As we leave that in your head. <laughs> well, Fiona, Fiona, just tell us as we wrap up, where can people find you and your work and whatnot? Um... Okay, so my main home is jumpcutonline.co.uk, which is obviously mainly a UK-based film website, but the internet is international, so you can access us anywhere. Hell yeah. um, I am a freelance writer as well, so I've got bylines at various other places. I write for a philadelphia-based zine called movie john um which you should really check out those guys they produce some really nice things um and i'm on twitter pretty much all the time at fiona underhill and thank you for for talking for talking you in with us this was really i <laughs> You're feel very like we got, welcome i feel like we covered a lot i feel good about i feel <laughs> good about our our coverage it was a um, lot to tackle but um and then you know you 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 guys all know this already but i'm at dj mecca uh you can see some of my recent sundance coverage um uh from you know on the film stage from uh sundance recently i didn't see too much but i reviewed stuff like land um i'm going to interview robin Wrights for that movie so that'll be up if you're listening it's probably already up so you can click on that i'm excited to do that interview and yeah, that's where I'm at. DJ Mecca, Connor, take us away. Uh, you know? Yeah, you, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Scruffy Look, and you can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB Side. If you like what you've heard, if you liked all of Fiona's wonderful insights from this, <laughs> this great conversation we were able to have with her, um, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. It's a great help to us, and we we very much appreciate it. Um, we have some interesting things coming up. You can catch actually Dan and I, um, I don't know exactly if it's going to line up with, I when think it's, drops, I think it'll be out. Yeah. I but, think it'll be out. But we, we were lucky enough to guest on the two, the second anniversary episode of it pod to be you, uh, mm. where we talk, we'll, we will be talking about the first entry in the before trilogy, uh, before sunrise. So Indeed. that, that was a fun one, fun conversation to have. I recently was just on the mixed reviews podcast talking about Chris Pine. If you want to check that out, that was kind of a fun sure. one to do. Um, past and future guests, Gavin Nevius, uh, is, is great as always on that. And, uh, and yeah, we have some fun, the other episodes coming up as you know we've been mentioning this other sub series we're, we're doing the final frame where we look at the last films of established directors we'll have another one coming down the pipe spoiler alert it's probably gonna be related to someone named stanley kubrick so eyes wide shut with the susan of ai yeah yeah so so keep keep an eye out for that obviously in the future um but you know until then everybody 
uh, just keep on keeping on. And remember, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> While we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me. Yeah.